So this morning we're going to be opening our Bibles to the book of Hebrews. We'll be looking at Hebrews 11, starting with verse 32. And um, for those of you that are guests, welcome. And um, we have been looking at the topic of Christian faith. And so faith is trust in action. You remember that? Faith is trust in action. So it's got this, we um, trust, we have this mental assent that we believe God. um, And then we have to put it into action. And so um, you remember I had the zero gravity chair. And if we believe God's promises, um, if I believe those promises and that chair represents his promises, I can stand there all day and say, I think it'll hold me up. But I have to sit down in it. And we have to lean back into God's promises to actually put our trust in action. All right, so we looked at Christian faith as exercising trust in God, and we first looked at um, righteous living. You remember Noah? He was living rightly. He was living in light of um, pleasing God, and he obeyed his instructions and heeded his warnings. And then we looked at obedience last week. We looked at the story of Abraham and Sarah. And they were an example of faith as they trusted God when God called them to leave and to go on this um, long journey where they didn't know where they were going. But by faith, they stepped out um, to God's prompting, complete and reverent obedience. They let go of control and they left everything that they were familiar with to go follow the Lord. And they they really experienced his promises as they walked in faith. Now, today we're going to look at another category from Hebrews 11, a section of um, people who suffered for their faith. And I want to say right off the, right out of the gate that um, suffering for our faith can um, cause us to feel anxious. It may not be the most popular topic that you'd like to hear about, but it's one that we need to hear about. And um, years ago, Corey Ten Boom was talking to her father when they were um, facing the very real possibility of being sent to the Nazi concentration camps. And she was tearful, and she was like, Dad, I'm, I'm so scared. And um, he sat down on the bed next to her, and he said, Corey, when we go on the train to Amsterdam, when do I give you the ticket? And she thought about it a minute and sniffed her nose, and she said, well, when I'm getting on the train. And he said, in the same way, don't get ahead of God. When the time comes that some of us must die for our faith, look inside, and he'll give you the strength. And so let's pray. Lord, before we even open your scripture to look at what you say in Hebrews, I pray that you would strengthen us in faith to trust you. I pray that you would bind fear and that you would lose faith, deep faith, more faith, and hope in you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'm going to read Hebrews 11, starting with verse 32 from the New Living Translation today. So verse 32, how much more do I need to say? It would take too long to recount the stories of faith of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and all the prophets. 
By faith, these people overthrew kingdoms, ruled with justice, and received what God had promised them. They shut the mouths of lions and quenched the flames of fire and escaped death by the edge of the sword. Their weakness was turned to strength. They became strong in battle and put whole armies to flight. Women received their loved ones back again from death. But others were tortured, refusing to turn from God in order to be set free. They placed their hope in a better life after the resurrection. Some were jeered at. Their backs were cut open with whips. Others were chained in prison. Some died by stoning. Some were sawed in half, and others were killed with the sword. Some went about wearing skins of sheep and goats and destitute and oppressed and mistreated. They were too good for this world, wandering over deserts and mountains, hiding in caves and holes in the ground. All these people earned a good reputation because of their faith, yet none of them received all that God had promised. For God had something better in mind for us so that they would not reach perfection without us. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. Think of all the hostility he endured from sinful people. Then you won't become weary and give up. This is the word of the Lord. All right, friends. Suffering for our faith will happen. Jesus warned in John 15:20, "Remember what I told you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also." It's been said that persecution is the class between clash between two irreconcilable value systems. And so when the value of sinful flesh and the value of kingdom of darkness keep clashing up against the kingdom of God, we've seen persecution carry on throughout the centuries. Jesus told us this would be the way it would be. We also see people, a list of people in this um, book, Heroes of Faith, chapter 11 of Hebrews. We, hear, we see some people who are listed that suffered for their faith. Daniel was put in the lion's den for praying. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were thrown into the fire by King Nebuchadnezzar because they said they would not serve the gods and worship the idol of gold that you've set up. Others were beaten. They were put in prison. They were sawn in two. They suffered for their faith. Examples of suffering go down through church history. The first martyrs were Jews. Um, our, our records show us that um, Stephen was the first one, and he was stoned. 
records say that James, son of Zebedee, was killed by a sword. Philip was beaten, imprisoned, and crucified. James, the brother of Jesus, was clubbed to death. John was sent into exile on an island. In the Roman Empire, um, it was required once a year that you burn some incense and say that Caesar is God. Christians would not do that because God, there's one God, and he's God Almighty. And so they suffered terribly for their faith. In North Korea today, similarly, the dictatorship requires worship and subservience to the Kim family. And so Christianity is considered an enemy of the state. Anybody who's a Christian or expresses interest in Christ or Bible is persecuted. Now, persecution of Christians varies around the world. And the um, organization, the Voice of Martyrs, kind of, um, they have a website and they lay it out like, okay, here are the restricted nations. There's 41 of those nations And a restricted nation has anti-Christian laws that lead to Christians being harassed, imprisoned, killed, or deprived of things like possessions, like clothing, a job, the liberty of owning a home. Bibles and Christian literature are banned, and Christians often experience the persecution from their family, their community members, and political groups. So restricted nations, there's 41, like I said, would be places like Afghanistan, China, Saudi Arabia, North Korea, Egypt, and Turkey are some examples of those countries. Now, they also classify another group of persecuted nations as hostile nations. There's 19 countries. These would include India, Indonesia, Nepal, Israel, which includes the West Bank and Gaza, Nigeria, southern Mexico. All right, so not just over in other places far, far away, but over here in our hemisphere as well. These are hostile nations that may, on their books, have some laws that try to protect Christianity, but Christians as a population are routinely persecuted by family, friends, neighbors, because of their faith. Now, God, um, he blesses those who suffer because of their faith. I want to read some things that scripture says about how God feels about those that are going through these hardships, this suffering, this persecution. Matthew 5, 10 to 12 says, Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad Because great is your reward. Can you say that? Great is your reward. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. All right. So Pastor Dave loves to tell about what blessed mean. You want to tell what us tell Remind us again what that means. Oh, the deep, deep happiness of the one who. So this is saying, oh, the deep, deep happiness of the one who's being persecuted. Another definition of blessed is supremely fortunate. You are supremely fortunate if you're being persecuted. And it says rewards await those who suffer on behalf of Christ. 
And so I ask the question, and I imagine you do too, how can we be supremely fortunate and have deep, deep happiness in this place of suffering on account of our faith? And what might the rewards be? Well, Paul gives us a definition and an explanation in um, Philippians chapter 3. He says, but whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I've lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participate in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. New Testament scholar and Reformed theologian John Piper, in commenting on this passage of Scripture, he says, what sustains Paul in suffering is the confidence that in losing precious things, he gains something more precious, Christ. When we suffer, we gain intimacy with Christ. It's a reward from suffering. The Christian becomes more personal with Jesus, more intimate, deep, real is their faith. Those who suffer because of faith are highly esteemed by God. I want you to listen to this from Hebrews 11, 37 and 38. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. Now, this scripture isn't saying the world wasn't worthy just of Jesus. The world wasn't worthy of any little boy, of any little girl, of any teen, of any old woman or man of any age that has faith in Jesus and suffers for it. The worth, the worth of those who have faith. Those who are martyrs have a very special place of honor in God's throne room, and there will be justice. Revelation 6, 9 and 10 says, When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and the testimony they had maintained. They called out in a loud voice, How long, sovereign Lord, how holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood. And then each of them was given a white robe, and they were told to wait a little longer until the full number of their fellow servants, their brothers and sisters, were killed just as they had been. Where are the souls of the martyrs? Right there in the throne room, being given a robe of white as they wait to have their blood avenged. God's not letting them out of his sight, so to speak. He doesn't let any of us out of his sight. But think about the honor of being that close to God himself. Now, he gives us in Hebrews this this, um, list of this, he calls it a great cloud of witnesses. This great crowd of witnesses, he tells us about them because in their stories, our faith is stirred. When we hear that they, they were suffering and they even went beyond 
and kept being suffered and persecuted even to the point of being sawn in two because they were looking for a better life in a resurrection, we know that their faith was genuine. And it's one of the um, arguments in apologetics, trying to say, how do we know that this Christian faith is true? How do we know that Jesus really walked the earth and people saw him? It's because you would not suffer. If, if pressure started coming, you would not suffer unless you knew it was true. You wouldn't let your, your child be killed or your parent be persecuted or yourself be put into danger unless you would say, I know Jesus is my friend. I'm sticking to my story. And so in their stories, our faith is stirred. Friends, they experienced the promises of God firsthand. So we love Psalm 23. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. These people experience the presence of God in the deepest, darkest valleys. They also overcame our spiritual enemy by their faith being put into action. Revelation 12:11 says they triumphed over him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. So this great cloud of witnesses and how they lived out their faith helps us see that God uses this to push back the enemy and also to reveal his glory. Romans 8.18 says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed. And so God's glory is revealed through them and his kingdom advances. No measure of suffering or persecution will stop God's kingdom from coming. Tertullian in the third century said, The blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. And Jerome, in the 5th century, looking back over now several centuries, he said this, Persecutions have made the church of Christ grow. Martyrdoms have crowned it. I want to speak a word of assurance to each of us today. Assurance that if and when the Lord allows us to be persecuted for our faith, it's going to assure us that our faith is genuine that we know God. He's our friend. He's also going to honor his great promises to us, just like he honored his promises to each one who suffered before us. Peace and joy is possible even in the midst of suffering. And I'm going to tell you a story in a minute, and you're going to hear about this. God will advance his kingdom by pushing back the enemy If he allows us to be persecuted and we stand firm, it's going to push back the enemy and he's going to advance his kingdom and reveal his glory through our very lives. We're going to be a witness for him in a way that will shine brightly. We'll just keep our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. Now, I want to tell you a story. I was reading a little book called God Answers Prayer. Rosalind Goforth was a missionary with her husband, Jonathan, and they were sent to China by the Canadian Presbyterian Mission 
1888, okay? 1888. That's over 100 years ago. Mrs. Goforth described being given a scripture from somebody she didn't know at the train station. We would say this was a prophetic word of encouragement. But this person had been praying. She didn't know the person. They came up and said, I've been praying, and the Lord gave me this scripture for you from Isaiah 54, 17. No weapon that is formed against thee shall prosper. And right away she said that she just prayed a prayer, Lord, let it be so, and she had assurance that that was a scripture promise for her. In her book, she tells about being in China in 1900. One of her daughters had just passed away, and they got news that things had become very unsafe and that they needed to leave the country because of the Boxer Rebellion. The Boxers were an organized group of Chinese who believed that only the indigenous Chinese and Asian religions were legitimate and should be allowed in China. And so there was an order given to kill all the foreign religious workers. She quickly, now this is just after she had the death of a child, she quickly gathers things for her husband and her four children. I think about people that have four children. Imagine gathering the things for the four children ages nine, six, just under three, and eight months. And here's a few things that she tells in her book. That just before they left, God redirected their, um, their route. They were planning on going through a capital city, and the Lord told them to go west, and it was going to be a much longer journey, um, you know, like maybe two weeks in little wooden push carts, and then also two weeks on a boat getting out of the country. But he, he clearly redirected them, and so they followed his guidance. Some of their fellow missionaries and dear friends were killed in different parts of the country, and they got news of that as they were en route. Mobs would gather outside wherever they stayed at night. Mobs would start to gather. They would be in um, like a a gated community, and they would start stoning the um, gate trying to get open. And they would shout, kill, kill. And she says, once you've heard a mob shouting, kill, kill, She says, you do not forget it. She said one day as they were getting ready to leave and they knew that they had to go out that gate where that mob of people were waiting, she said in her words, suddenly without the slightest warning, I was seized with an overwhelming fear of what might be awaiting us. It was not the fear of dying, but of torture that took such awful hold of me. I went by myself and I prayed for victory, but no help came. Just then, someone called us into a room for prayer before getting into our carts. Scarcely able to walk for trembling and utterly ashamed that others should see my state of panic, I managed to reach a bench beside which my husband stood. He drew from his pocket a little book, Clark's Scripture Promises, And he read these verses. This is in Old English. The eternal God is thy refuge, and underneath are the everlasting arms. And he shall thrust out the enemy before thee, and shall say, destroy them. Thou art my help and my deliverer. Make no tarrying, O my God. 
I will strengthen thee, yea, I will help thee, yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. The Lord thy God will hold thy right hand, saying unto thee, Fear not, I will hold thee. She said it was remarkable when her husband started reading the word of God A peace just flooded over her. She said that God's presence was so real, it was scarcely could have been more so if he was right there in visible form. The presence of God through his word ministered peace in a mighty way. They get into these little carts. They go through the gate. And she said as she was going through the gate, she mentioned to her husband, well, this seems to be going pretty well. And he said, and pointed, and there was like maybe 200 men armed in the street just ahead of them. She said that what happened after they left that inn, they were attacked by that mob of men, and it was vicious. A man struck her husband with a great sword around the neck, but somehow the blunt edge of the sword struck around his neck, leaving a wide mark almost completely around his neck. She said if the sharp edge had hit, he would have been beheaded. Her husband fell to the ground, and another man struck her husband with a sword that entered into the bone of his skull. And her husband, right at that time, heard a voice say, Fear not, they are praying for you. Think about that. He heard a voice saying, fear not, praying for, they're praying for you. Who said that? I think the blessed Holy Spirit. And I just wonder who was praying. Was it somebody in other places of the world? Was it Jesus and the Holy Spirit? Was it the cloud of witnesses? Right? He was clubbed again in the head after being struck with the sword. And just at that time, there was a horse running on level ground straight towards him. And she said that suddenly the horse tripped and fell with its tail almost touching her husband. And the horse was just kicking furiously, and it kicked all the assailants away. It defended her husband. Then she says that another person came up like he was going to strike her husband again, and he whispered, leave the carts. And as the crowd started to search for the valuables through the carts and got distracted with that, she got down with the children and goes over to her husband, and they limp away. She said she was praying like crazy because her husband was bleeding profusely. And so here he has this huge gash in his head. She's got her children. Men are following her. She said at one point she pushed her husband forward and turned back and just said, have mercy on us, have mercy on us. And anyway, and they said, "Uh, we've killed her husband, let's let him go, and turned around. She said she was praying and praying, and that suddenly there was this little small village, and it turns out it was a small village of Muslim people. And the village women were weeping with pity when they saw the sight of this family limping into their little village. And Mrs. Goforth thrust her little infant into one of the women's arms and dropped down by her husband on the ground because he had collapsed, and she feared he was dying. And suddenly the men had pity, and they said, We will save you. 
And they went and got some little ground up something or another and put in the crack in his head and it stopped the bleeding. And then they took strips of the, the wife and the children's clothing to make bandages. And they put him in a little hut and they locked him in and they brought him water to wash their wounds. And they brought him food and they bought him drink. And they said, we'll make plans, we'll save you. Well, the story continues in much detail. And I just want to say it's such an encouraging thing, a story to read, of how that God, at each point that they were so desperate, he made his presence and his power and his promises real to them. You would think after an experience like that, and they made it out safely to be able to tell about it, you would think that they might say, okay, we'll look for something different, a little safer. But would you believe that through that experience, God grew their faith? They knew him so much more intimately. They knew his promises so much more real. They had lived his promises that a year later... They go back to China, and the Lord uses them as evangelists to usher in the Manchurian revival, which gained not only national but international attention, a great and mighty move of God. Friends, this is our God. This is our God that tells us in this life we will have troubles, but take heart, I have overcome the world. He tells us we will suffer for our faith, and none of us know when or how or what it's going to look like. But we can be assured that nothing, nothing can separate us from his love. God's promises and his blessings are true, and they're for us, each of us, who, like Corey Ten Boom, we may be scared to think about it. And we don't want to be so um, foolish as Peter, who's like, I won't deny you, and then quickly denied him three times. But when the go-forths got ready to go into this section of China initially, Hudson Taylor reached out to him and said, if you're going to go there in that hostile environment, you need to go forth on your knees. And I feel like the Lord would say to us, go And face whatever we might face in the future on our knees, not in our own strength, but asking the Holy Spirit to empower us and to help us to make his name great. You've got something. Come on up. I I can't remember their names exactly right now, but I read a, a biography of a Christian Reformed missionary couple who lost their lives in that same Boxer Rebellion um, and whose daughter was, car- was taken out Stam's. I thought, I thought it might have been Jeff and Betty Stam, but I wasn't sure, whose daughter was carried out by Chinese um, Christians. And so some were gloriously rescued and others lost their lives. As I'm listening to Pastor Gina bring this message, the thought that's been in my heart the whole time is I think we listen to messages like these based on um, where we are and what we've experienced and what we expect. Yeah. 
and that for us who are mostly from the West, it's very hard to anticipate or think that if we don't go to one of the hostile or closed nations, that we might have to experience this type of persecution or that we might have to be prepared for it. But I, I want to say to you, church family, that I, I really believe this is a, a word, a now word from the Lord that we need in order to be prepared. And I, I don't have specifics of timelines, but it might seem strange to hear me say this because we are praying for revival and believing revival to come. And at the same time, I'm, I'm really believing that things are going to get more difficult for us as believers in the West and in the world. Like that there will be an increase of both, of both the, the glory and the goodness and the coming of God's kingdom and at the same time an increase in evil. It's what the scriptures tell us as we lead up to Jesus' return will happen. And I, and I believe the Lord wants us I believe he's speaking to the church in the West right now, actually calling the church to wake up. And I want to just share one thing that I heard this past week that um, really impacted me. And uh, I, I pray the Lord give you grace to hear it the way I intended, okay? A pastor was, was speaking about the various... Um, he was calling Christians to engage... Uh, as we in the Reformed faith do all of life from our Christian worldview, and he was calling them to think about voting responsibly, and he was speaking about various ideologies that are impacting our culture, and he was talking about communism, socialism uh, as communism in diapers, and um, he was speaking to his congregation, and he said, you know, what we've experienced these last two years where we lived through an environment that there was a great increase of fear that led to a parallel increase in overreach of control or tyranny on the part of the government is, is he said, what I might call an interesting dress rehearsal for things to come. And he said, and I agree with him, he said, I am fully supportive of vaccines. They are a good gift of God. But when you can't keep your job, when you can't go certain places, when you can't travel, when you get socially stigmatized, when you get cut off because you make a personal health decision to not have one, that is tyranny. That's that's. Um, and he said we need to be careful what we accept now, because what we accept now sets us up for a future. So he was saying this in the context of warning his church, calling them to think wisely, and trying to nuance well. I'm I'm repeating a part of that because what captured me was the. Um, the way that these forces are at work could be an interesting dress rehearsal for things to come. And the way that we as Christians 
need to be prepared. And so I just, I just, I was listening to Pastor Gina thinking, if we were sitting in Germany in 1941 and we were those who were not giving ourselves over, to, you know, much of the church in Germany in 1941 gave themselves over to what was coming from the Third Reich, right? The church um, yielded themselves and they became a vessel of evil. Because they didn't resist, but there were large pockets of resistance. And so if we were among them, or if we were Corey Tin Boom, we'd be hearing this sermon differently. And I just want you to hear, I think we need to hear it. I don't know when, but I, I think we need to be preparing ourselves. This isn't in theory. This isn't like a, it, you know, okay, we need to know how we're going to respond and counting the cost for the suffering that is before us. And again, I'm not making predictions about timelines, events. I'm just saying um, we need to be prepared. I'll, I'll, I don't quite know how to transition from there, but I just felt like we needed, I needed to speak that strong word of affirmation and um, call us to keep praying with eyes wide open as a church. Thank you, Pastor can, Dave. Yeah. Um, I, I do, I can just say... That the Lord has so strong on my heart that he wants to strengthen us in faith right now. He's, he's calling us for, to righteous living. He's calling us to radical obedience. And he's calling us to not fear or shrink back, but to stand and um, to, to just really lean into that they overcame by the blood of the Lamb. And the word of their testimony, and that they did not shrink back even unto death. Let's pray. Lord, I pray, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done. Lord, we ask for your mercy, and yet we also say that we want to see your kingdom come in its fullness. And so whatever that means and whatever that looks like for us here at Gold Avenue Church, for this city, for this state, the nation, and the world, we are so eager, Jesus, for you to come back. And we know that the word and the good news of salvation and the gospel needs to reach every tribe and tongue, every people group. And so, Lord, in trust that you'll empower us, we say use us however you want to use us. In Jesus' name, amen.